Hey, I'm Tiffany Woise, and this is the best of What's Mine is Yours. Good morning. Morning. There's some coffee behind me. Great, just what I need. What do you want to write today? I did have this one idea. Have you ever heard a song and felt like it was yours? That it was written for you? Me too. And that's why I moved to Nashville, Tennessee to record and sing songs written by people who have written songs you've heard. The songs you have grown to love, the songs you were raised on, and the songs that you've attached your stories to. Come along with me as I interview songwriters who write the words that inspire all of us. This is What's Mine is Yours. Our guest today is Jason Sines. Jason is a Texas native, and his passion for music led him to Nashville, Tennessee. He was raised listening to artists such as George Strait and The Beatles. Jason has had a great deal of success as a songwriter, having artists such as Little Big Town, Eli Young Band, Gavin DeGraw, Scotty McCreary, and Easton Corbin record his songs. I think the best word to describe Jason is just refreshing. I had so much fun sitting down talking to Jason. It felt like I had known him for years, immediately right off the bat with just meeting him for the first time. He was so open and so honest about everything. I loved the fact that he's such a pop songwriter as well, like he enjoys pop. We need to respect where country has been. But coming from me being a girl and raised in California, I have a lot of pop influences and he doesn't shy away from enjoying pop. And it was so interesting to even see how different it is to write a pop song versus maybe a country song or the difference between writing in L.A. versus Nashville. So I found that to be very eye-opening and something that I guess I assumed, but it was really interesting to hear it from somebody who knows firsthand. Hello, Jason. Hi, Tiff. Welcome to What's Mine is Yours. It's typical. Tiff is really cool. Oh, okay. We're on that level. Yeah, well, yeah, we're on the level. We're on that We've level. We've got wine. It's Tiff now. So. I know. <laughs> I've noticed something between pop and country. Yeah. Because I know you now work in both. Yeah, yeah. And a big difference between the two is number of writers on a song. Mm-hmm. You can go at pop songs so many different ways. I think that's what usually brings the extra people on. I know I've been in like urban sessions, right? Where I've been the top liner, which is the guy who writes just the lyric. Meanwhile, we had two or three guys in the other room working on just drums and beats. And then there's another guy probably playing piano who's working with music. And then there's a rapper guy. And then everyone comes back into the room. And there's probably at that point, eight to nine writers on that song already. The pot at the end of the rainbow is just so much bigger. Yeah. That I think a lot of people, I mean, the guy who goes to get coffee sometimes is like, <laughs> I hey, I it. want some points. <laughs> it's not always like that. I, I do. I freaking love writing pop music. But sometimes because the piece of the pie is so big, it's notorious that there's some artists that if, even if they didn't write on the song, let's say if you wrote a three-way song that goes to Beyonce, well, Beyonce's publisher is going to say, well, she wants 50. She may not even know. But are we going to say, no, we're not going to give Beyonce 50? No, you would rather have a Beyonce cut because that currency of having a Beyonce cut for the rest of your life is going to get you into so many rooms. 
And How it, often do you travel to L.A. to write? Before COVID, probably five to six times a year. Now it's I think I, I've been twice this year. And what do you expect when you go there? Like the difference between you going to L.A. to write a song versus you already know what you get with your team here. Me and my publishers, one of her goals was obviously to make me work in pop as well. And I think that's been a long process of figuring out who you work with well in L.A., you know, and honestly, just came down to becoming friends with those people. I work with a guy named Derek Furman, who's become one of my best friends. We drunk FaceTime each other from L.A. all the time, you know. <laughs> and I worked with guys like Jesse McCartney and things like that. Where oh, just, childhood yeah, I, know. <laughs> I met him once and I was like literally on cloud nine. OK, never mind. It was really, it's, it's no, it's so dope, right? Like, in, you in, know him? Gene DeSilvio. I have his number. Right? Oh, I don't even know if the guy remembers me. Don't tell my parents. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd get into rooms like that. But L.A.'s tough because I'm just the guy coming in from Nashville. Mm-hmm. I learned two or three years into it. I just didn't say I was from there. Never said I was a producer, didn't do any of that stuff, right? I just was like, just be cool, write a dope song. Let's see what happens. But I think the LA formula for me was, I've got to find the people who are my friends here, which was ended up being Derek. And Derek, who I met from Todd Clark, was another producer who could sing his butt off. So when we write country songs and they pitch them here, literally my publisher will get two calls, like usually every time going, does this guy have a record deal? Like, and he actually, he's had a record deal before. But I think it was one of those things in LA, yeah. It's just finding your people. And like the last thing I had with Derek, we had an Iggy Azalea thing mm. that came from going to LA, riding with a girl in LA, Sophia Scott. And she's here now, but we wrote two or three songs with her in LA. And all of the LA things started happening. Her manager hit Iggy's manager up. Iggy heard the song. And then all of a sudden we have an Iggy Azalea feature. Like, you know. Is the style of writing a pop song different versus a country song? Yeah. Yeah, for for sure. It's flipped on its head. And it's cool, too, because they love writing with Nashville people. Because they know that we are story first, which is so different in L.A. Now I've gotten more comfortable with people that want to do the story first thing. But for the longest time, for years, I would go into rooms and... It'd be melody first. Usually the people in the room, and I'll really try to force an idea into it while the <laughs> singer is singing. Because it starts to feel the melody, you know, you're, you're a great singer. The melody starts to tell you what kind of song it is. And then the guy's working on the track or whatever. And then while they're all doing that, which I'm like, get me away from singing. You don't want to hear that part. But while they're doing that, if, we, if that's the way the ride's going to go, I'm sitting there thinking, is this a love song? This is a breakup song? It's pop, so it's is it a sex song, you know? And then the whole time you're just writing ideas down because when it does come to your part, they all look at you like, "Hey, we've been doing this for two hours. Like, what you got?" And I'm like, "This is what this song feels like." Yeah, it's always good to have references. Oh, remember this John Legend song from so and so? I think it should be this. And as a Nashville guy, we're taught have a idea, have a book of ideas mm. ready to go. Yeah, L.A. loves people like us. Come prepared. Yeah, because we come prepared and we're like, here's what I've done my research on you as an artist. Like, here's what you do. Your ballad's really dope. Sounds like you need a tempo. That kind of thing. But yeah, melodies, melody and production drive that town, I feel like. Do you ever go to L.A. with the intentions of trying to write a crossover song? 
cross over to country or start country and cross over to pop because I think that happens more often than yeah. the other way around. Yeah, yeah, right. It usually does the the, the country to pop country, country versus to pop, pop to country. Yeah, yeah, because like Nashville does have an inferiority complex. <laughs> if I'm saying that right, we're cool. But are we L.A. cool now? Since you started yeah. as a country songwriter. Yeah. When you go to L.A. now, yeah. do you ever have the intention of going there and being like, OK, let's write almost a country pop song that I can take back to Nashville and that we can strategically cross over to, to pop? Not really, because everyone out there is, it, it has a different mindset, right? It usually is. It's a Nashville to pop. It's like that same guy, my buddy in L.A. was saying like to me, he's like, hey, man, like someone, a pop guy who was working with just referenced your song yesterday saying, I want something like this Lauren Weintraub song. And so Lauren's song, the song called Missing You, we wrote on piano is a ballad, kind of really, really dope. It's really good. But it was so cool. We didn't know what it was when we wrote it. And I think that's what's cool. It was like, it could be country. It could be pop. It got on both playlists. Mm. It ended up on New Music Friday, did the whole thing, right? But I feel like the pop scene doesn't really care. Some of them will really appreciate the country thing, like the storytelling aspect of it. But I feel like they just want the bangers. You know, well, that leads me to my next question yeah. is, do you think lyrics matter nearly as much in the pop world that they do country? I will say this. OK, here's where I'm going to opinionate it. Get opinionated. But I, I do feel like Nashville's been dropping the ball. I was saying Morgan's killing it. Like Morgan Wallen, I've been wearing that album out. That album is really well written. But before that, I would have said, what are we doing? It's all three and a half minute party. And an old writer told me this a couple of years ago, and he was completely right about it. Pop is selling emotion right now. And Nashville used to sell emotion all day long. Now we're three minutes in a party. Like, how do you get there? But now, I mean, you have Bieber writing some amazing stuff and Adele and Billy's making little 16 year olds cry. You know, like it is all like really, really good. I don't know if that's a, the answer most people would expect but i do like i'm like pop is selling emotion right now and the lyrics are really good right now and i feel like nashville you're like olivia rodrigo oh uh, yeah yeah like driver's license so i'm like a 40 year old dude listening mowing my yard getting angry because i'm like who broke this girl's heart yeah you they're know? taking country's role in the storytelling yeah. which is why i feel like it's interesting and that's why i was getting yours yeah that lyrics in a sense i don't feel like we're ever the more important part in pop. It wasn't. I, I don't think. It was a so. country thing. Yeah. And now it feels like it's shifting a little bit. Yeah. They're really respecting the the storytelling aspect of it all. Look at 1989. That's a hard comparison. Because she's such a Nashville songwriter, right? Like she was taught to. But 1989 just still fires me the fuck up. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That album's really great. But if you were to go through my Spotify songs right now, it's all pop. Light On by Maggie Rogers. You heard that song? Oh, yeah. Uh, Super Rich Kids, Frank Ocean. These songs are really, really good. Even like Leave the Door Open. It's a fucking dope song. They're all really well done and they're, they've got great hooks. And yeah. My last thing on pop versus country, country versus pop. Yeah. And where they bleed. I find artists who try and go from country to pop. Mm hmm or pop to country, fans aren't happy. People aren't happy Okay, a lot of the time. When someone even thought that Marin was going to be pop, I mean, oh, yeah. you would swear the world was ending oh, and it wasn't gosh, yeah. good. So why do you think it's okay for writers like yourself mm -hmm. 
to oh. write for pop and write for country. And that's oh. totally accepted and totally fine. But it's not OK for an artist to dabble in two different genres. Oh, that's an interesting question. I like that question. I think mainly because people don't know. Right. Yeah. And that was a huge reason why I wanted to start this podcast, giving the mic back to a writer. Oh. We watch people on stage and I leave. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know the faces and the names behind yeah. a lot of your favorite songs. Yeah. That's the whole purpose of this entire podcast. Yeah, that's and awesome. Yeah, love that. Yeah, yeah. Not knowing, it feels like you have to be on the inside and hear one of these podcasts to figure out what's going on, right? I'm a massive fan of J.P. Sachs and Julia Michaels. Julia is one of the biggest pop writers ever right now. She's so young and just killed the game. But she's in town the past couple years writing some of the bigger country songs right now. I, I have a buddy who is producing Ingrid Andrus, and they wrote a song together that's just on the album, on the new one coming out, and it's a Julia song, too, with the, they all co-wrote together. It's freaking phenomenal. And I wonder how her fans will react to that. She's so good. She's so good. You're right. As an audience member, maybe the answer is, is they just don't know. Yeah, yeah, right. But I also see it within the music community. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people who work in music aren't super supportive when they flip genres. You haven't lost any respect from people from Nashville going to L.A. to write pop music, have you? Maybe. Maybe not, right? <laughs> I, I don't know. I know some of my friends will be like, oh, Hollywood doing this thing again. Like You don't get less rights because of it. No, I think I get more, but I get more leaning rights to pop, right? I'm kind of like the girl guy right now, right? Is, is that what I would say? Yeah. Because of the wine trials, because of the little big towns. A lot of the people that I'm writing with are young females that have a pop leaning sense to them. Because most of the people think, oh, that's what he does. Mm -hmm. uh, when in the same sentence, my publisher would be with Brandy like, Clark. Yeah. Right, yeah. My, my publisher will go like, he writes Brandy Clark songs and Leanne Womack cuts. And David Nail. And so I've always been really cognizant mm -hmm. of what it looks like. Instagram's everything, right? Instagram's our resume, basically. So it's mainly not personal at all. It's like music and my dog. You know, I did notice that. <laughs> I love your dog. <laughs> yeah, my dog is just everywhere. But yeah, it's that balance. I came to this town because the songwriting was just phenomenal. But I also. Knowing that was like, I didn't want to be a country songwriter. I just wanted to be a fucking good songwriter. Do you think that there would ever be some underground ghostwriting situation where they take out the middleman? Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. I think. Right. Like you get paid under the table. You're great. Say, Jason Signs, you are the number one writer in town. But my gosh, I don't want to have to go through your publisher, that middleman. Oh, yeah. You do this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah, saying yeah. that like. Hey, I'll pay you this much money. Oh, yeah. You write for me. Yeah. We make some hits. No one needs to know you're the writer on it. Your publisher doesn't know you're the writer on <laughs> yeah. it. And But you get paid. Yeah, yeah. It's something to think about. Oh, it is something to think because, about. Because, right, songwriters, everyone talks about the discussion that songwriters are the struggling ones right now, right? Yeah. Like that's How in the world is it that it all starts with a song and it's all about the song, but yet it's the songwriters that are struggling. Oh, we're getting screwed right now. So to me, yeah. it's interesting to think that there could be backdoor deals made with songwriters and you're getting paid nicely yeah. to not go through the middleman. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you say that because there's been a lot of discussion around town right now because 
the only way to make money substantial, like get out of debt money for for a songwriter is radio, which is a disappearing thing, unfortunately. Well, think about it. There's only so much that's even available on the airwaves, yeah, right? Yeah, Maybe over. there's 40 songs on, right? Like top yeah, 40, top right? 40, top yeah, 40, top literally? 40, yeah. It's become harder and harder to get onto radio because it becomes a celebrity playlist at some point. That conversation has led all of the songwriters. I was just having this conversation with my publishers and everything lately because there's talk about, I know the bigger songwriters, they won't get into a room with an artist unless they're getting a percentage of the master, Mm -hmm. which is... Which is the final cut of a song. Yeah. And the people who own the masters are the record labels. The record labels. The record labels. Yeah. So we know the Taylor Swift big mm-hmm. machine dilemma with the masters. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So let's say you write a song and gets one million streams as a songwriter. It doesn't go to radio. It just goes to Spotify. We might see what maybe anywhere from like 10 to $20. Maybe. And you're the one that wrote the song. We're the ones that wrote the song. The label on that side is making $7,000 per million streams. So. I can't even do the math if you own a Dua Lipa master. You put out one song and it's hitting a billion streams. I don't I can't do the math on that. We're trying to flip the script because uh, I love Spotify. Love you guys. But they also want to decrease what we're getting paid at the moment. We've heard this discussion, especially mm-hmm. Spotify has always been the center. I think of the discussion of how the songwriters just can't win. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I know... In Nashville, it really does all start with a song. Yeah, it does. So why is it that the songwriters are the ones struggling? I think it's just because we didn't get ahead of the technology. It started freaking decades ago with Napster and Bear Share and all that line wire. So we just didn't get ahead of it. And uh, we haven't really redone the laws. I don't know. You guys all went away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got to be honest, there wouldn't be much left. That's where I get so frustrated and I don't understand because if songwriters literally all just stood up together yeah. and said, the songwriters that are not artists. Yeah. Yeah. And said, and which there's a lot of you, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Yeah. Don't have the desire to stand like you said, I don't want to sing it. I don't want to do it. Yeah, absolutely. You like songwriting. Yeah. I love That's it. what you like doing. That's what you want to do. And then there are some people, for instance, like me, mm-hmm. who haven't really developed my songwriting side of things. I love to sing. I love yeah. to entertain. That's what yeah. I like to do. That's what I bring to the table. And those are the type of people I want to work with, <laughs> you but know, because it's if like you went away. Yeah. I have nothing. Y- you could say that for sure. In a sense, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how is it that we keep allowing the songwriter to be the one that's struggling that we know, don't name that we maybe don't know that sit in rooms that don't yeah. give yeah. a lot of work to the project? Yeah. And there's these really hardworking songwriters that come in with these great ideas. And if they all stood up and said, yeah, no more. Yeah. yeah. I think everyone's afraid of the thought of, yeah, if we all do that, then like someone's just going to sneak in the back door and be like, but I will. I'll take 10 cents <laughs> for it. <laughs> I'll do it. It's one of these things that's so enlightening with these podcasts. And what you're doing is like, no one knows. Mm-mm. If you're listening and you're thinking about music, you think we're all rich and you think we're all doing good because the life does look pretty dope. It looks dope, but we're not getting paid. The idea of someone yeah. secretly doing something. Oh, I'm sure people have tried that. I, I don't know if I ever could. Number one, I feel like I owe my publisher my life. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, you have such a good rapport, yeah. say, with your publisher. Yeah. But if you're somebody that's just like, I need to make money. Oh, yeah. And I'm yeah. really talented at what yeah. I do. Oh, yeah. And that person doesn't do what I do and they need what I do. 
How do we make that transaction? How do you monetize that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think we're getting to a point now where everyone knows where the money is and it's in the master. Because it all starts with a song and a songwriter. Hey, thanks for listening to What's Mine Is Yours, the podcast with Tiffany Woods. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can stay updated with all things What's Mine Is Yours by visiting WMIYpodcast.com or following me on socials at Tiffany Woys and the podcast at WMIYpodcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Recorded in Nashville, Tennessee. Produced in Los Angeles, California. Presented by Tiffany Woys in conjunction with Roundhouse Entertainment. Executive producers Tiffany Woys and The Ed Hill. Original music from Robert Shavers and Kiefer Thompson. Recorded and engineered by Robert Shavers. You can check out my music on all streaming services and a special playlist we've created for each episode with songs written by each guest only on Spotify. Thanks for listening to What's Mine is Yours.